You're listening to The Public Discourse, a podcast by the Baha'i Community of Canada's Office of Public Affairs. This is the fifth episode of our mini-series, Resilience in the Face of Adversity, where we ask how the coronavirus health crisis reveals insights about the values that bind us together. This episode features Jeff Cameron in conversation with Peter Notboom, General Secretary of the Canadian Council of Churches, and Rabbi Dr. Laura Duhan Kaplan, Director of Interfaith Studies at the Vancouver School of Theology. They are talking about the ways in which religious communities in Canada are fostering hope and solidarity in a time of coronavirus. I'm delighted to be joined today by Peter Nodeboom and Rabbi Dr. Laura Duan Kaplan. Uh, and we'll be exploring how religious communities are feeling the effects of coronavirus and what they're doing to contribute to resilience and solidarity at this time. So I wonder, Laura and Peter, if you wouldn't mind just briefly introducing yourselves before we start the conversation. Laura, would you please go first? Sure. I'm Rabbi Laura Duhan Kaplan, and I work as Director of Interreligious Studies at the Vancouver School of Theology, which is an ecumenical Christian seminary located on the campus of University of British Columbia with programs in Indigenous Studies and Interreligious Studies. And I am the only Jewish faculty member, so I enjoy the challenges and blessings of an interreligious environment every day. Thanks, Laura. Peter, what about you? Yeah, so thank you. Uh, I work as the General Secretary of the Canadian Council of Churches. And uh, the Canadian Council of Churches is really a Christian unity and peace organization. That's our main purpose. Uh, We also say that we seek truth seek Christ's truth with an affection for diversity and that we act together in love through prayer, dialogue, and witness to the gospel. Um, so that it's my privilege to serve as general secretary there. And I've also recently been appointed or asked to serve as the co-chair of the Canadian Interfaith Conversation. Wonderful. Well, thanks both of you for joining us today. Um, Peter, I'd like to start with you with this conversation. You helped to coordinate an interfaith statement called Hope, Gratitude, and Solidarity that was signed by dozens of religious leaders and endorsed by the Canadian Interfaith Conversation. Could you talk a little about the motivation for creating a statement like this and why you think it's important for religion to speak with one voice at a time uh, like the one we're living through right now? Thank you. That's such a good question. You know, my first, uh, the first thing I thought of is that actually there's a pre-existing desire among the participants in the Canadian interfaith conversation and many religious communities to, to act together. In the Canadian interfaith conversation, we have 10 years of relationships, 10 years of learning from one another, 10 years of working together on some shared projects. And so there is this through the friendships and the mutual respect that we've developed over the years, I think we've had a pre-existing desire to speak together on, at a time like this. And so when I first got word of the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops and the Canadian Rabbinic Caucus proposing a statement that would be for religious leaders in the context of COVID-19, 
it just appeared natural to me that we could call up our friends and say, let's do this together. Let's uh, work through the text and what we'd like to say. Uh, let's draw on our expertise from our various religious communities to try to sharpen uh, what we can say together. Uh, and so it felt, it felt in a way natural. Um, it didn't feel forced. Um, it felt like it was the fruit of many years of cooperation and collaboration already. Thank you. Now, Laura, you're, as you mentioned, you're the director of interreligious studies at the Vancouver School of Theology. What Peter was just describing was an interreligious approach to thinking about the contribution of religion to public thinking at a, the time of coronavirus. Uh, could you say something about how taking an interreligious approach to this crisis gives us added perspective, the way in which our thinking can be enriched by uh, looking at what different traditions have to offer? For sure. And I'll say two things. One, really building on what Peter said, which is that each tradition has a tremendous history and storehouse of spiritual and psychological support resources. We each speak a slightly different language, but we have perhaps um, each a piece of the puzzle for hope and inspiration and support. Some traditions connect us with a sense of unity of all being that runs through all life, and other traditions focuses on um, connecting with a specific figure that provides us with support and guidance. And when we start to open the door to learn from one another, we get a greater inner set of resources that we can draw on. So that's one piece. The other piece is that it's hard to run a religious organization. It's very time consuming. And it's very time consuming to be a member of a small religious community, um, even in one faith tradition. And so we don't usually spend a lot of time investigating the ideas and tools and teachings of the different traditions. And yet when something like a crisis brings us together, it opens the doors for the relationships that will allow us to continue learning from one another. You know, Peter, there are many people will recognize the role of religion and spirituality in helping people to get through a crisis at a personal level whether this be through prayer or meditation or personal faith, these are powerful reservoirs of resilience for people. But religion also has this role to play in how we think about society and many of the ways that Laura has just uh, touched on. One of you could speak a little bit to this, um, just how, how does faith and religion influence our approach to social questions um, in the context of this crisis, whether it relates to questions of justice how we treat vulnerable populations, uh, or even how we understand ourselves at this moment in, in history when we're rethinking uh, many foundational questions about what kind of society we want to be. You know, it's such a, such a good question. And um, I'm struck even in the way you ask it about how you're naturally using the plural form. How will we do it? I think frequently people see religion as something personal, something private something you work out on your own. But uh, 
it's true that faith is personal and that it is about one's deepest convictions and it is about personal and spiritual practices. But faith and religion is really a communal enterprise. Um, it's really a community project. And so uh, when people work out their faith together with other people, then those faith communities also have practices for how they do their work. I think I mentioned before, too, then, that um, gratitude and blessing are, are, are natural languages for faith communities. And, and I think that that's another important language, ways that faith communities uh, approach social questions. I think I also mentioned, you know, that, that good fortune we have in Canada of a tradition of listening to those who are more uh, experiencing the lived experience of discrimination or of scarcity of one kind or another. And I, I think that alertness um, is something I've learned a great deal about from other faith communities. Um, and I think it's a kind of underappreciated religious value or spiritual practice of being alert to what's going on and what's happening around us. And when faith communities do their work well, they are alert. I think another thing that often comes up, at least I, can, I experience it in the work that I do, which often is about bringing different faith communities to speak together or act together on something, is that there's an overriding concern for inclusion. How will we include everyone? How will we strike some balance? How will there be harmony in what we ha want to say uh, in the way that it lives out our values? So, so that comes through usually very strongly. But really, I guess it's about that reflection of testing out our deeper, va deepest values and our deepest convictions and not doing that on our own, uh, but with others in community. And so I think that that bringing our deepest values and deepest convictions to bear on the particular context or the particular challenge with others is, is a gift that, dare I say, a few other communities in society offer. Yeah. Jeff, your questions are so excellent that I find myself wanting to answer all of them. <laughs> so perhaps I could continue on a couple of the themes that Peter highlighted in his answer. Please. I want to echo the idea of gratitude. And I read it so beautifully stated in a Benedictine text a few years ago that gratitude establishes our relationship with God because it helps take us out of the funk that we are in when we turn our attention to the things in our lives that we can be grateful for. And when we get a little bit out of being sunk into ourselves, we begin connecting with something larger than ourselves, something right, that transcends that moment and begins to connect us with a larger feeling of the transcendent. Mm. And in religious communities, we practice gratitude, blessing, and feeling into that transcendence right, in a way that makes life more meaningful, uh, more bearable, and often more joyful. In 2017, the Angus Reid Foundation partnered with the Cardis Foundation to study Canadians' uh, experiences, perceptions, and attitudes around religion and public life. And one of the things that they found in their research 
was that the 30% of Canadians who are um, religiously committed, that is, participate regularly in spiritual communities, this 30% uh, report themselves happier on indexes of happiness, more engaged with community with their communities and the larger community as volunteers, and also that they much are much more likely to say that having care and concern for others is a fundamental life value, and that doing it makes your life better. And we practice that particular value of caring for one another, both within communities for the members of our communities, and also as each community does outreach into the larger community. Mm. And it's really notable that people report that caring for others makes them happier. And I think that... Um, religious communities could do a much better job of exporting that value throughout our society. You know, in, in the Baha'i community, we often talk about um, having a twofold moral purpose, that on the one hand, one of our purposes in life is to improve our own character, um, but that, that's also related to our contributions to the community around us, the extent to which we are serving our community. And these, these two things, one can't necessarily be done without the other. There's a relationship between our own personal spirituality and our own active concern with contributing to the common good. And that's something I heard come out in both of your comments. But maybe I can just, we can take the reflection you were just on, Laura, a little bit further. Because um, one thing I've been noticing in a lot of the public conversation around our response to coronavirus is a kind of rejection of individualism and selfish action. You know, these are sometimes qualities that are praised and even tolerated in our society, but it seems that there has been a kind of mobilization around working together. You know, there's this phrase, we're all in this together, that I think has become a sort of mantra of our response to this pandemic. So maybe if I could ask you to speculate or think ahead a little bit, what potential do you think is there that we can come out of this time with a different attitude towards solidarity, unity, and collective action? Peter, do you want to go first? No, please. I love to listen. To <laughs> <laughs> I think that people of all faiths and people of no faith are, even in the short six weeks so far that we've been very serious about uh, physical distancing, I think in these six short weeks, people are really coming to understand what is most important to them. The most important things to us are keeping alive the connections with family and friends, uh, coming together for spiritual support. I'm a member of two synagogues, and both of the synagogues are having much greater remote participation than they typically have in-person participation because people are really realizing how important 
spiritual support is to them. We're also coming to see that artistic creativity is important. People are taking up the arts and posting their um, beginner efforts online for all of their friends to see. So I'm hoping that one of the things we take away is a desire to spend more time developing interpersonal relationships, uh, deeper parts of ourselves, and our personal creativity. And I will add that as I see the world, creativity also opens us up onto our imagination, which means we are a lot more primed to enter into those hopeful spaces Peter was talking about, and that you are hinting at in all your questions, Jeff, those spaces where we can really envision things being different and better. Yeah, I, I'll echo again many of your themes. I think we're weaving through each other nicely. Um, just to say a bit more about time, um, I, I, we're on virus time, not human time. We're on Mother Earth time or creator time, which is a little different. That sets us up for, for realizing that we're not in control. And I think it, it holds the potential for us to emerge a bit more humble, a little more aware of our place in creation or place in, in the cosmos, um, maybe a little more aware of our own vulnerability, maybe a little less prideful, maybe a little less certain, maybe a little more curious. Um, I think there's potential for that. I think a crisis like this also shines a light on those areas where things were a problem before, but we were content to scan over them or gloss over them, uh, whether it's care for the elderly or care for those suffering from d domestic abuse or care for migrants or other parts of, of uh, Canadian society where, where folks were in, uh, having a difficult time. Uh, but we were used to walking past them. It's now clear that, that they're there and we're more aware and hopefully we can, can be more alert to those things. Just to echo and extend one of Peter's themes again, I think that a pandemic also shows us how biologically connected we are. And we can't ignore some of the people and the problems that in a safer time, it might be easier to push to the margins of our thought and our visibility. For example, if the virus runs in a homeless encampment, uh, then the virus is going to run through the city. It's not a separate strata of existence that those with money and policy expertise can ignore because what happens to the least of us now happens to all of us. Yeah, it seems like there is something about a pandemic and a virus that exposes a reality that was always there in the sense that it's always been the case that we have been interdependent, that we our own individual actions have some impact on people who we may not even know in the world around us, whether this be through our economic choices in our lives or a 
our personal actions when we're in public or our professional actions. These are not never really private things. They all in some ways influence those around us. But, but there's something about a virus that is a kind of a signifier or symbol of this reality, which, as you say, is that we are biologically interconnected and therefore also interdependent. And perhaps this can give rise to a greater consciousness at some level of our, you might say, our fundamental oneness, our shared humanity, our, our interdependence. Um, and that might influence the way in which we look at problems in the future. So I wonder before we uh, end this conversation, perhaps you might each share what are your own hopes and aspirations for how we can start with Canadian society, but we can even extend our vision to all of humanity. How, how could things be different coming out of this? You know, a moment of crisis is a time for, for reflection. It's a time in a way when things end at some level <laughs> and new beginnings can come out, can come forward as well. So, you know, to the extent that this may be a turning point for our society and for humanity, how might we hope things could be different? So that's a big question, not a small one. <laughs> I'd like to invite either of you to uh, share your, your, maybe your closing reflections on what we might hope the future could look like as we emerge from this crisis. There is so much talk at every level of our society about putting aside differences and focusing on what we have in common and working together. On the call with religious leaders, our premier of BC, John Horgan, um, laughed a little bit and said, you all know that I don't see eye to eye politically or necessarily personally with the premiers of the other provinces. But because of us focusing together on the emergency and sharing information, we are actually becoming friends. And that is a different approach to politics than we have seen in Canada before. And I am hoping that when the emergency fades, what will stay with us is right, the sense that we are all in this together, the friendships that we have created, the new knowledge we have about how much each tradition has in common, how different parts of society are connected, and that our motivations for living together will, will evolve to something kinder and gentler and calmer, to quote our to paraphrase our provincial health officer. Thank you. And Peter. You know, when you ask the question, just to model what we're talking about, I think it's religious symbols that come to mind for me first. Um, one of my favorite phrases uh, comes from the book of Revelations, and I'm not even sure what it was meant to say, but it has lived in my imagination for many years which is that, behold, I am making all things new. Mm. Um, and, and when I think about what that means to, to be renewed, to be the renewal of, of, of all, 
Uh, I think about a place for each and all. Uh, I think about uh, a shared sense of mutuality, of independent interdependence. Was I think the language you used, Jeff? Um, I, I think of being less preoccupied with ourselves and more aware of Earth time, um, and tuned into that. I think about recognizing and acknowledging the divine in one another, and um, uh, getting the glimpses of the divine. Uh, from one another's traditions and our own. Um, and, and that divine, that transcendence, that uh, glimpse of beauty, that glimpse of, of uh, uh, a sense of beyond the, what we can see and feel and touch tactilely only. Um, I also uh, look to that as part of the future of, of the kind of, of change that's possible. Well, I'd like to thank both of you for this very rich and deep conversation, exploring these themes of hope, solidarity, gratitude, interdependence in the context of the coronavirus. And I'll leave it there. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to The Public Discourse a podcast by the Baha'i Community of Canada's Office of Public Affairs. You can learn more about the Baha'i Faith at baha'i.ca and follow the work of our office at opa.baha'i.ca where you will find links to our social media handles on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.